This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and your tushies do too. Huggies Little Movers is their best-fitting diaper ever with its curved and stretchy fit. Babies, no matter what kind of butt you've got, you'll feel comfy while your mushy little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Huggies Little Movers are curved with up to 12-hour protection against leaks. Get your baby butt in Huggies best-fitting diaper. Huggies Little Movers. We got you, baby. Hey guys, this is Kale Lowry. And this is V Rivera. We're the hosts of Baby, Baby Mama's, Mama's No, no Drama. Drama. Every Tuesday, we talk about parenting, co parenting, lifestyle, and sex, pop culture, current events, and pretty much all the things you want in one podcast. So download and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Listen to us every Tuesday and join us with all the tea. Shall I take your order, or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. We appreciate y'all supporting us, support the people that uh, keep us doing this. Uh, try to choose them carefully. And uh, do check me out at TV, where we do a streaming show at 3 o'clock, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Pacific time. A lot of interesting stuff going on there, and you can interact through Twitter spaces. And uh, do follow me on Twitter and also Instagram, Dr. Drew Pinsky. Occasionally do some uh, Instagram lives or even uh, TikTok lives. But let's get right to it. Today, guest is Jeremy Pollock. Jeremy's company is Pollock Peacebuilding Systems, the largest workplace conflict resolution consulting firm in North America. Also, leadership training programs, Peaceful Leadership Institute. Websites include Coach Jeremy Pollock. Uh, Jeremy's J-E-R-E-M-Y Pollock, P-O-L-L-A-C-K, and uh, PollockPeaceBuilding.com. Uh, he has trained executives and employees at a variety of levels, from uh, Fortune 500 companies to major nonprofits. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Drew. Appreciate it. How, I guess the sort of the 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 standard question and this it's an empty platitude when i when i say it out loud but i might i'm actually interested in it uh how'd you get into this work uh yes you know i i always try to track my journey back to being a martial artist uh i I originally i was a a martial arts academy owner and instructor and uh you know so i was super interested in you know conflict resolution at, at some level but Really got interested in verbal de-escalation, you know, later and wanted to get away from kind of physical defense uh, and uh, see what that was all about. So I actually went back to school. I got really interested in evolutionary psychology. I got a master's in evolutionary anthropology and then started working with some folks doing some conflict and cooperation work. Uh, got really interested in that. So I got a master's in conflict resolution. And then um, and then I went on to get my Ph.D. in psychology with a, with a focus on social psychology. So um just studying, studying conflict cooperation, the techniques that get us to peace and get us out of conflict. That's kind of where my head's well, been. Well, uh, you, you, you're going to send me down a big rabbit hole here, right? which I can't resist because I, I love evolutionary Let's psychology. It. But <laughs> yeah. am, am I mistaken to say that evolutionary psychology has been under attack for the last decade or so? Uh, I mean, guys like um, David, what's his last name, wrote uh, uh, up at the University of Washington, I think he is. Uh, 
Oh. Last name. Uh, okay, you you, 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 you answer my first. Kind question. of going on the attack. Yeah, yeah. yeah our, 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 has, you know, has your psychology been under under assault lately? I mean, I haven't personally felt that. Um, I there's still a large and supportive field in the ev psych world, uh, so I, I personally have. I, I think probably it's always been under attack um, since its inception, and. It seemed to me like it's been getting less so over the years, but I don't know. Maybe well, maybe it's, you've it's heard less so. That. It's less so lately. Um, it, it is uh, it, about ten years ago. I noticed be, because the cultural relativism and the cultural anthropologist were taking hold, they took the position that oh, you can't do double-blind placebo-controlled t- trials on these evolutionary stories that are just so. These are just so stories we tell ourselves. Men and women are different. Uh-huh, sure they are. Prove it. Well, you know, you know, it, it, sort of, it sort of went down that rabbit hole. Yeah, well, in, in that realm, in the sociopolitical sort of context, certainly I think there's, there's a tax on it. Um, you know, when I went to grad school, there was a very clear schism between the the psych people and the cultural anthropologists or the yeah. evolutionary anthropologists. Yeah. And the culture. I mean, it's just a completely different field. Yeah. It, one is the way that we looked at it is like ev psych or ev anthropology is basically a scientific field, whereas cultural anthropology was more of like a social scientific, so social, social studies field, historical field, something like that. So there's always been a schism. They're, they've been on the attack. We've been on the attack. So I think it's, yeah. Well, I'm glad to see you're comfortable. David Buss was who I was thinking of. I, oh, David Buss. Well, they were attacking David Buss. Oh, terribly. He told I talked to him a couple of times. He said, "You have no idea." This he was being canceled uh, oh. all over the place because. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, it was just terrible. Uh, it's sort well, of coming well, back. Unfortunately, now. yeah. Well, I, I, you're right. I mean, unfortunately, I, I think any time you have a scientific discipline that starts to look at what are biological differences between, you know, different types of people, different genders, ages, except that, that kind of thing. Any anybody on the other side that's more like a social constructionist you know comes from sort of the the, the critical theories are going to say well you know that's you know that's that's all socially constructed subjective reality is what's important not a, there's no objective reality and so like there's going to be just a, a foundational schism between those two philosophies well you're a conflict resolver how do we how do we how do we deal with that because it's 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 you know i i I'm glad that you're supported by the evolutionary psychology and social psychology networks but out in the world when you say things that are yeah based in science, as you say, the evolution of psychology is a scientific yeah. endeavor. You just get reamed. So how, how do you, uh, is there a strategy to approach that uh, from a conflict standpoint? You know, conflict resolution is all, is all about communication. And so when people are unwilling to communicate and, and actually listen to each other, it's very hard to resolve anything or manage conflict. So I would just say if, if people are willing to listen to each other uh, communicate. That's probably the, you know, that's the only way forward in terms of building peace or resolving conflict. I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people are that interested in resolving conflict. I think a lot of people are in a, what I might call a conflict identity or victim identity. And so thinking that like, you know, if I give up this conflict and I try to resolve it, well, then what then will I be fighting for? Right. And so part of my meaning and purpose is to be a fighter and I want to fight against tyranny or whatever it is, you know, so it's hard to get them to, to give up on it. But, but if someone is interested in peace, the, the, the key is how do I just listen to someone and hear them out and not try to prove they're wrong or defend my ideas or something. Just listen to each other and, and give, us, give each other that courtesy. That's the first step. It's funny. Dave McCraney just put out a book called How Minds Change, I think it's called. 
And uh, mm. he is a, you know, looking at talking to social psychologists and, you know, trying to figure out, he's really looking at, he's interested in cognitive biases and things. And, yeah. and he, same thing. It just, it's just, you've got to just sit and listen to each other and be respectful to each other and find a common ground and reflect yeah. back on somebody, what they're, what you're understanding their position is. And, you know, and, and not expecting even necessarily to change their mind very much, but just to sort of find a relationship with that person is essentially what he's fighting for. Is that it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, there, there, there's never a point to go into a conversation with someone who disagrees with you it, with the mission of convincing them they're wrong or tr- changing their mind. Mm. You have that mission going in. You're, you're, you're setting yourself up to lose. There's, there's a wide, uh, there's a, there's a wide field called intergroup contact or intergroup contact theory. Um, and there's a lot of different studies that show the kinds of things that help different groups resolve conflicts. And I would call these different groups. Now I, you know, in America, we've got these different ideological groups. You could say the left and the right or social constructionist versus more scientific method people. Um, and, and really it's, there's a few key concepts. Number one, how do we find common goals? How do we find common values? And a lot of times if we start talking to each other, we actually realize that we have a lot of like common values. Of course. We all want to keep our family safe. Of course. We all want to, right? We all want to like keep, keep, keep food on the table. And so we have the common values. We just have different ways of trying to get there. And it's worth understanding the methods that the other, uh, that the other folks are, are, are trying to, to get to or what, 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 what methods they're, they're bringing up. And so that's one. And the other one is creating superordinate identities and superordinate groups. So focusing on shared identity. Hey, we're, you know, you might be on the left and I'm on the right, but we're both Americans or we're both Californians or we're both like, we both live in this community and we're, we're part of that. And having that identity be salient and then creating common goals around that identity, things that goals that we're interdependent with each other on and we have to work together to achieve them. Those are the kinds of things that start bringing people together from different groups. Yeah, I, I get very... Um... So overwhelmed, flustered, something when I when I think about the world we live in today and how, how to get people there because they, yeah. they they seem to throw roadblocks in wherever they can to maintain the victim identity, as you're saying, which is you know we're all Americans. Well, America sucks. Then America's a, a shitty yeah. country. Uh, we're yeah. all what common goals? No, you're a Nazi uh, or you're a fascist yeah. or you're a communist or whatever. It, it, right. it, it's it's. There's an underlying psychology operating, and you're right, it is this victim identification that that gets in the way of conflict resolution, it seems to me. Um, yeah. And in in the victim sort of identity, it's, it's projecting all problems out into the world, really, rather than Correct. inside ourselves, which is sort of defines a personality disorder in a way. And so yeah. it sort of suggests that we've got a lot of personality disorders flying around. Is, is there anything? And I'm imagining. So I'm I'm just following my reasoning here. Uh, I'm going to take it. That's on the macro level. Now on the micro level, um, I've noticed certainly that, of course, a lot of the conflicts that arise in workplaces or even in small group dynamics are the people with character pathology. Uh, or or yeah. the or the system itself can develop a sort of a character pathological sort of pattern to it, and and of course it's usually the cluster B that creates all the problem, uh, and particularly mm-hmm. you know borderline narcissist that stuff, um, and and the whole system can start to develop those characteristics if enough people of that 
makeup are in the system. How do we deal with those things? I, I my my son got in a system like that recently, and I was trying to advise him how to how to deal with it. He was bewildered and confused and baffled, and it, it, like he was like spinning in the you know in the in the. Uh, the in the washing machine cycle, the dry cycle, it, it was uh, yeah. terrible. Well, what's what sort of system was it? Was it or, an organization? Yeah, it was an organizational system. I, I don't, I can't give too much away. Uh, it was a professional yeah. system with very specific professional sort of re- responsibilities, but the management uh, had personality disorder, and the whole system was operating yeah. with you know again internal uh, projective identification blaming splitting all these processes that are part of borderline which is you know again i see see to me i always looked for splitting behaviors and we can talk about what that is so people understand what we're talking about as the first sign that you're getting into trouble um mm. is, is that something that you guys believe too or am i on the wrong you know i mean i mean what, one thing that we see thematically through through the work Places because that's really where we focus is conflict resolution workplace. Yeah. Um, it, it, a lot, you know, so there are certainly character pathologies and personality, um, maybe disorders or, or re- very serious trauma that's never been dealt with or, or processed in a certain way. And the, those can create people that just get stuck in victimhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> I would say that most, if not all of the, the conflicts that we deal with have to do in some way with leadership, whether it's directly or indirectly related to, to the leadership, um, not really understanding how to create an environment where people can thrive, how to create an environment where they are, they are looking to get the basic psychological needs of their workforce met. They don't understand what those psychological needs are. They don't understand how to get them met, and maybe they don't care. Um, and that's that's a big problem. And so I think an organization at some point if they're noticing a lot of problems, conflicts, uh, you know, turnover, et cetera, even loss of revenue, innovation, productivity, that kind of thing, um, they have they have to start they have to start thinking what what is what does our culture look like and what do we want our culture to be? A lot of times these leaders are burying their head in the sand and saying, "Well, it's not my fault; it's everybody else," right? Or they just want to avoid the whole thing. It's a very conflict avoidant culture. And our, our job a lot of times is to get them to become a conflict resilient culture, which is how do conflict is not a bad thing necessarily. It's, it's, it's a, it's a catalyst for, for change, for growth, for innovation, but we have to know how to manage it correctly. We have to know how to talk to people in conflict. And a lot of leaders just do not have that sort of training. And so that's, that's, that's a big part of what leads to conflicts in organizations. Let me, let me focus in on this idea of creating an environment where people's psychological needs are supported yeah. One of the criticisms that I would imagine people would think about that kind of an environment is recently I've noticed people complaining, uh, either from within an organization or people are looking at an organization saying, why do, why does the total self have to be, you know, why does your total being have to be part of your work experience? Mm-hmm. In other words, yeah, I, you yeah, know, yeah. I don't feel like I'm being respected for all these things I am and do. It's like, no, you should be respected for doing your job. Uh, in other words, how do we prevent that slippery slope, so to speak, which I hate? But how do you help prevent people from going that slippery slope where you know we got to we've got to admire and appreciate and support every aspect of your psychological uh, self? That's a, that's a good question. You and that's that's like um, a, a symptom of the sociopolitical sphere bleeding into workplaces. Yeah, you know the 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 only again, it, it, to me, it comes down to leadership. When leadership set, when leadership does nothing 
about that or when they say, this is the kind of culture we want, that's going to happen. Leadership does have to get tough at some point and say, you know, the kind of culture we want is, is this. We want a culture where people thrive, where they do their job well, where they go home. They don't, it's not about making sure everybody feels recognized, nobody feels ever offended, nobody ever feels harmed on identity level and that kind of stuff. Like that sort of thing, when you start coddling to that, it just, I mean, you can see it in these organizations that do it. It just completely turns them on their head. They look, they lose revenue. They, there's all kinds of conflicts. I mean, we get called into conflict sometimes where people have, you know, they've started, you know, different types of um, initiatives, DEI initiatives. Um, What's DEI? Uh, d- diversity, equity, inclusion. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, so, and, and, and not having any real clear, any real clear problem to start with no real clear plan as to how they're going about solving the problem. And so they end up in this place where everybody's walking on eggshells. Everybody feels offended and sensitive and no one can get any work done and no one wants to talk to each other. And it's just a total mess. Aren't you describing so every, call, every, think, every business in America right now? I well, just hear this. Not all, everyone. Yes, I, hear, I hear this yeah, all no. the time. Yeah. 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 It's really time. frustrating. And, is and, it, and it takes is, leadership to be strong. Would it be accurate to say that Netflix moved in the right direction by just saying, Okay, yes, maybe this isn't the workplace for you to sustain your life. Maybe if you really don't like how this work this this business operates, you should work somebody else with somebody else. Period. Which yeah. seems makes very yeah. that's a it's a perfect starting place. It's like, yeah, if this isn't a right fit, we can't possibly make everybody happy at all times. Work somewhere else. That's fine. And I think Tesla yeah. did the same thing kind kind of. Tesla just said yeah. if, you know, I, I don't know what how they justified what Gary, you're smiling. Oh uh, no, the Tesla thing's just a little bit different. I mean, well, but who knows how would they operationalize that? They might have said, "You're you're not happy with the leadership. You're not happy with the work environment here." Okay, goodbye. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's just complicated because they also laid off a bunch of people that was completely unrelated to that, and it's all happening at the same time. But they're entitled to lay people off. Yes, but they laid they they apparently did it in a way that is not in concert with the law because they laid off a certain number of people all at the same time without notice, and it goes against something some act the acronym for which is the Warren Act. I, I'm deep in the weeds on this with reasonable okay. doubt. This does okay. not matter for this conversation. Okay. Sorry, okay. I'm well, maybe maybe you say Tesla and Elon Musk <laughs> and I perk up. Look at well, my maybe Jeremy knows something about that. Do you know anything about <laughs> what he's talking about? I don't know much about. Yeah. I don't know much about that. I, yeah. All I heard I heard that you know Elon kind of said something about you know if people if you don't want to work in the office 40 hours a week, then, you know, it's not the right place for you. Something like that. Yeah. Pretend to work somewhere but, else. Um, yeah. Pretend I, to work somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Something like that. Yeah. No, I listen. I, I'm when you say, is this the right thing to do? I think everybody's right is different. So in terms of right, like you have to, I think each leadership and culture has to define what's right. If, 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 if it's, if something's working for you, great. If something's not working for you, it's not working. We need to change it. And a lot of times, unfortunately, these folks think that what they're doing, what they're starting to do is right, which is, um, hey, we need to really let people's full expression of their identities here. And we need to pay attention to those and that sort of thing. We need to have all these kinds of initiatives and et cetera, et cetera. And they, they go down that path because they feel like that's right. And maybe that feels right. And maybe there's a good intention there, but it ends up because they don't have a clear goal in mind, because they don't have a clear uh, methodology in mind to 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 solve whatever problem they're trying to solve, it ends up really poorly. And they get to this place where everybody's sensitive, hypervigilant, walking on eggshells. No one wants to talk to each other. Total loss of productivity and innovation. I'm wondering, I'm guessing that uh, you have to, well, you're a social evolutionary psychologist. How does 
the law figure into what you try to do? Gary brought up some legal issues already. I, I, I'm yeah. wondering, do you have to constantly consult with attorneys every time you have an opinion? Is it something you just have to have a personal familiarity with? How, how does that, and I imagine it's different state to state. How, how do you deal with those yeah. issues? Well, so the good news for, for us, we don't deal with any legal or financial disputes. We come in purely at a relational level. So we help people try to get along better, communicate better, that kind of thing. Um, when we come in, it's either it's either they've already done an investigation with, with like an EO attorney or, or some employment law, and they found nothing there. And so now it's just a personality or a communication thing. So it's not a legal thing anymore. So but that's I, But I'm guessing older. every time you um, open your mouth, somebody could accuse you of something. Oh, yeah. Discriminatory or God knows what. Uh, how, how do you it, walk that yeah. tightrope? You know, it's totally it's totally possible, and it, it's happened a couple of times. But because we are you know trained in conflict resolution and communication, we can we can walk it back. I mean, one of the big things about being a, a coach or a mediator or even a trainer is building a lot of rapport and trust with people, showing them that we really care about them, that we that we recognize their needs, et cetera, ahead of time. We build that rapport with them. And so we, I mean, it's, it's been very rare that actually someone's called us to task about like, Hey, you haven't recognized my identity. It's happened a couple of times and we've had to walk it back, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's difficult. And it's not our place as consultants to like act what leadership would do and go like, well, too bad. That's the way it is. You know, leadership might have that, that, that way of going about it, but we just, as consultants, we just don't, I wouldn't recommend that for us. Yeah. And this is back to that intergroup conflict theory all the way back. How, how old is that intergroup yeah. conflict theory? Is that like from the 50s? Yeah. Well, Alport, um, so Alport came up with it, when was it, in the 40s or 50s? And then Sharif um, did this really interesting study, the, the Robert's Cage study, you know, yeah. years, I think it was in the 40s or something. I think I, I may make you, I, yeah, of course, um, I may make you go through the yeah. uh, Robert's Cave just to, you know, just to, yeah, well, so because it's such a great, right. fascinating study. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a seminal study in intergroup contact. I mean, basically what they did was they had these kids come to a camp. They were like, I don't know how, I can't remember how old they were, maybe 10 years old, something like that. They had these kids come to a camp. They randomly separated them into these two groups and they had them go live in separate areas. But they were age matched. Everything was matched and controlled. Yeah. 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 A lot yeah of exactly. Match control. Yeah. A lot of match control. Yeah. Exactly. It would never happen today. Yeah. Oh my God. No. But, oh my God. No. Yeah. 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 But uh, they gave, so they gave the, so they gave them different tasks. They said, you know, come up with a team name, come up like, I think it was like a team slogan or something. Um, and they, and they, they, and then they, they started having them compete in these different, in these different uh, competitions and just games and stuff. And, and very quickly they found that just by separating them into these groups, they got extremely aggressive with each other. In fact, it got to the point where there were some, there were some instances where I think one of them, I can't remember exactly, but they, there was some aggressive incident yeah. where they thought we almost, we need to like stop the, the stop the whole experiment. Um, but it was very clear that like they, all it took was to separate them into groups. This was the beginning of minimal group paradigm, which is basically we can put different t-shirts on people and it, and it, it makes group salience. Um, so they separated them to groups and they found there's all discretion. And then they tried to get them to come back and to resolve some things in different ways. And it didn't work. And the, and the thing that started working was they gave them a, a, a shared task. And one of them was like, I think there was like some tractor or some, something in the road that they had to get out in order to move the car. And so they all had to work together in order to get this thing done. They couldn't do it alone. And when they started doing that, they started all of a sudden coming out of this group identity and started like 
being chummy with each other and and, and uh, uh, yeah. letting go of the aggression. And yeah, so, I think it was a common and, and they did a, a, another common that. enemy too. I think they had some other. They were pointing at some source of something. They had to remove the yeah. tractor because there was something coming that they had to worry about. And 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 yeah, uh, yeah. and the other interesting thing I found is um, very quickly there. Their identifications were like a rattlesnake, and a you know they were very right. before yeah. they even knew who the other group was. They already were sort of an aggressive posture, an attack. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. interesting. I, I yeah. too bad they didn't do it with women, so we could see how differently females would have done this, or if they would have been any difference. You know what I mean? It was that, very fascinating. Uh, absolutely. I, yeah. I, my guess. But they've is, done, go ahead. They've they've done this sort of thing now over and over in all kinds of different contexts. Just like, you know, you could, you could take a group of people and randomly assign and, and just tell and ask them, which art piece do you like better? Right. And right. you've got one art piece and another art piece. And just by doing that, like, okay, you're, you're over here with this group that likes this art piece and, you're, and they can do all kinds of, from there, it creates all this group salience and there's prejudice and, uh, and discrimination against the others and hatred and hatred, which is crazy. Yeah. And, and it's amazing. I, I'm, I'm sort of surprised I'm, I'm the way you're telling, I'm very familiar with this, this material and I can tell sort of the way you're telling it, that this is something you have to educate people on a regular basis, which is sort of surprising to me that people aren't sort of already aware of this. Is that, is that yeah. the case that, that people are just not aware of how we operate as human beings in, in this context? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. And look, you take care of lots of things. You take care of your car, you take care of your body, but you need to take care of your brain. Your mental health, of course, affects your physical health. And with BetterHelp, I, I have been referring family, patients, and I've been very impressed with the services they provide. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat-only therapy sessions. You don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And as I've said repeatedly, the, the stigma is no excuse. You don't have to worry about running into somebody in a waiting room or anything. It's electronic media. It's online therapy. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with your therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Drew. That is better, H-E-L-P.com slash Drew. Jordan Harbinger, you know I tell you about him all the time. His podcast is something you really should be listening to. Named Apple's one of best in 2018, he aims at making you better informed, better critical thinker, giving you interesting, entertaining information. Each episode is a conversation with a different, fascinating guest. For instance, an FBI negotiator who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you. Or a cinematographer who discovered a lost city in the jungle and made one of the most important archaeological finds of the century. Jordan Harbinger is an interesting guy. He's a well-trained guy. He's a smart guy. He's had broad left experiences, speak multiple languages. As I said, he's been a hostage more than once, I believe. He's always interested in focusing on pulling useful, practical insights out of his guests. You'll like the Jordan Harbinger Show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. ZocDoc, I've talked about it before, quality physicians, finding the right physician for you. ZocDoc specializes in this. It's a free app that shows you physicians who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Again, it's a mobile app, 
Easy as ordering a ride to a restaurant. Find and review local physicians. Read verified patient reviews from real people who made real appointments. And when you walk into that physician's office, you are all set to see someone in your network who specifically chosen for you. Go to ZocDoc.com. Find the physician that is right for you. Book an appointment in person or remotely if you want in a way that fits your schedule. Everything is for you. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc and let it be your go-to when you need to find a quality physician. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Drew and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated physician today. Many are available within 24 hours. That is Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash Drew. ZocDoc.com slash Drew. I think people are so unaware. I mean, I mean, this is this is one of many cognitive biases. This is in-group outgroup bias, right? Yeah, there's, yeah. there's 50 different cognitive biases that have been identified and studied well. Yeah. So so educating people on that is is certainly an important aspect of of some of the things we do. You know, confirmation bias is very strong. Um, extreme thinking or dichotomy think dichotomous thinking is very strong. Uh, anchoring bias. I mean, there's so many different biases that people need to become aware of. And one of the things we talk about too, when we do conflict resolution is like, there's thing, a thing called hostile attribution. There's all kinds of attribution biases. One fundamental, fundamental attribution error is a very interesting one, but, but a hostile attribution bias, which is basically as simply as, as once someone does something or you perceive them to do something that you, that was hostile or aggressive or something from then on, you can create a bias that everything they do from that point on now is perceived as hostile. And that's happening all the time in conflict, right? As, as soon as I perceive one thing hostile, everything that person does, doesn't matter how well-intentioned, doesn't matter if it's totally benign, it's perceived as hostile. And I can come out as a consultant and look at what the person did and say, man, that's completely benign. That's not hostile at all, but it doesn't matter because this person has a bias towards hostility. And we have to try to try to figure out how to break that down first become aware of it and try to break that down and actually start giving people the benefit of the doubt that you kind of have relationships with what if what if it was hostile how do you deal with it because just because the the point is but just because somebody was hostile one time doesn't mean they're a hostile person yeah yeah well and if it was hostile that that's a so the way that these biases work a lot of times is because there wasn't communication around having a conversation or giving this person some feedback on what it was they did and how it bothered us. Or if it was, it, it went down the wrong, it was done the wrong way and the other person got defensive and it wasn't a good communication. So if someone's doing something that's bothering you or that you don't like their behavior, they said something, whatever, the most important thing is to communicate that to them and communicate that in a way where you're not demonizing them. You're not saying like, hey, you're being a bad person. You're rude, you're wrong, you're evil because you did that. The way to go about it is to talk about the behavior separate from the character of the person to say, hey, you know, when you uh, interrupt me at the meetings, I realize you may not know you're doing it. But when you do that, it really starts to make me feel like um, you don't care about what I say. And maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe it's not true. I'm just interpreting that way. So what I would I would love to know, like, are you actually do you care about my opinion? Mm-hmm. And if so, do you think we could work on a different type of communication style or behavior? So you're talking about the behavior separately from just demonizing the character of the person. That's the way to stop the behavior if it's actually aggressive or hostile. Right. Now, some people might not care. Right? They, they might be aggressive people. And that's then that's a situation in which you have to determine whether or not you want to stay in that relationship. Right. Um, and, and I brought up the intergroup conflict theory, not just to review some of the, the history there, but um, just also to point out that it has been around for 75 years. And there was right. a book published in the 50s 
which was a social psychology, I don't know if it was a textbook, I, know it was, I think it was just a book, to uh, sort of addressing how to deal with racism. And, es mm. and essentially, the book was called Contact. And essentially, the recommendation was relationships, contact. That, that's, that yeah, solves yeah. it. That goes away. Yeah. And, and we've known that for 75 years. Uh, why yeah. can't we do better, given that this is something we know? Is it, be, is it because of these cognitive glitches in our system that we just, another generation comes along uh, and just does the same thing and we, it's hard to wash out? You know, I, I think it's in large part because of the media. I think the media thrives on fear and threat because that's how they get eyeballs, which creates money for them. And so the more fear and threat they can create, the the, the better for them. And so I, I think people watching the media, listening to social media, et cetera, I think that I think it all adds to these biases in a way that's just almost impossible to fight against if that's if you're watching media. Um, you know, they've done some really interesting studies. You know, I think it was Lita Cosmides and John Tubi out of Santa Barbara who were like sort of seminal researchers, kind of almost like the 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 spearheaders of evolutionary psychology, really. Um, and they did some interesting research on looking at intergroup, intergroup prejudice, et cetera, when it comes to different types of social demographics. And one thing they, they, they found was that they basically they had, I'm trying to remember the study. It's been years since I read it, but uh, it was something along the lines of they had people look at or play on teams with people of different races. Mm -hmm. And as, when they, when they, and they did the same thing with different genders and they did the same thing with ages. I think I'm, I might be misquoting here. I think it's, a, but what, the, what happened was then they started putting people in different t-shirt colors and seeing if they, if they categorized and remembered people more based on their shirt color or their race or their gender or something like that. And what they found was, and there was an evolutionary uh, psychological explanation for this. What they found was as soon as you put people into teams of just minimal groups, like, like on uh, t-shirt colors, the race element disappears. Mm. They no longer track race. They're mm. tracking t-shirt color. Mm. It's different with gender. They continue to track gender as more important than than, than mm. t-shirt color. Wow. So there's something biologically important about, and then the same thing with age. And, and the, the explanation was there's something very important, um, evolutionary speaking, like when we were in small, you know, you know, 150,000 years ago or 100,000 years ago, when we were in small groups. There was a there was a reason we needed to track who was female and male because it mattered in in the context of our of our of the of the culture, uh, and there was a re and the, because there was biological differences yeah. and the same thing with um how with, dare with first age, of all how dare you, know, you. Was older, uh, was, that was an attack on everybody right how dare me yeah, yeah it was an attack on <laughs> hey, listen, everybody's I'm just, gender I'm report I don't kill the messenger <laughs> I know just we're just talking about what yeah. the science shows yeah yeah just um, yeah exactly that, that exactly. is shocking and, and, you know. to me that age gets tracked too that is uh, flabbergasted I'm flabbergasted yeah. I'm flabbergasted well because I, because because there's yeah exactly well there's 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 real there's real consequences to understanding how old or young someone is the same thing how what their gender is in the context of these small hunter-gatherer bands, which is where we're, we're, our psychology has evolved. But race had nothing to do with it. I mean, we basically, they were all the same race. And race, um, I guess we didn't evolve strong inclinations to track race. And I, the, the, the thing that that does for me in terms of giving me some hope is um, there's a possibility that, we, that if, if we start to change our rhetoric and we stop to listen to the media, um, there's a possibility that we might be able to start, I don't want to call it colorblind because I think that's still creating some sort of essentialism around race, but there's some science, there's some scientific evidence that shows that we might be able to kind of forget about race and not make that an important, uh, 
a focus of intention uh, in terms of in terms of like what what's meaningful about a person. You know, I so certainly it's, know people, it's meaningful about a person to look at. I've certainly I've talked to people who've visited from other countries that are more that way are shocked at the salience mm-hmm. that we make of it. And, yeah, yeah, and, and exactly. again, to be yeah. fair, we have a unique history with it, and I think that's the, the salience is really not mm-hmm. so much about the race, but the historical right. context. Absolutely, and, and yeah, so I, I think we we really have to make that specific. I think you know, in terms of our reckoning yeah. with ourselves, and again, back to you saying, you know, what are our goals? You know, we got to figure out what our goal. What are we doing here? What are the goals? And I think if you don't really understand the problem, it's hard to come up with goals in terms of solving yeah. it. Um, yeah. So, I, by the way, yeah, I, I have a, I have a, I, I had a conversation recently with someone who's, I don't know if you ever heard, uh, her name is Dr. Sheena Mason. No, she's the uh, sort of developer of a of a theory called theory of racelessness. Mm, no, and um, and her her whole, she's 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 written a book by McGraw Hill. It's an academic book, but now she's writing a, a lay book. But her whole philosophy is essentially that, you know, um, I, I don't want to get into too much of it, but basically ra- race is not real. That's her philosophy. Um, she's an African-American woman, but her race is not real. It's not even socially constructed. The illusion of it is socially constructed, but it's actually not a real thing. And the only way forward to get away from racism is to actually stop focusing on race as a real thing. I mean, that, I, I hope I'm doing justice. I, I, I have heard. I've heard that my my brother-in-law was a uh, anthropologist, and I remember him talking about that as a theoretical possibility forty years ago. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I don't. Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't. I think we have to. I don't believe it. I, I, well, I don't. I don't think that it's wrong-headed. Well, yeah. I don't think that it's inaccurate. I think it might be a little wrong-headed for this country, given what it's. I think we have to get very clear about what we're reckoning with. Uh, yeah, and and and, yeah. and I think one of the things this is totally off, you know, our topic. But but the thing I've noticed that African Americans have been complaining about that that I really think is a core issue, and I may be wrong, and I'm, I'm you know, old white guy's not in a position to to really make these kinds of sweeping statements. But I will just say. So so many scales have fallen from my eyes in terms of taking my perspective out of my understanding of other people's experiences in this country mm-hmm. and, and looking more carefully at what other like I I've I have a, yeah. one of my dearest patient is a woman that was my one of my best friends from high school mom and I've she's well into her eighties and I've taken care of her for years and years and years. And uh, she is somebody, and I hope I didn't speak out of turn by telling the story, but she is somebody who, uh, really a, a legendary person in in the community where I live, just somebody who's been just an active force for social good. And she's the, the most, I just, I can't even say enough good about this person. She happens to be black. And she had me, she was talking about Jim Crow in Southern California. I went, What? What are you talking about? And she gave me a book. I'm like, oh my God. Again, scales just fall from my eye. And yeah. she had to live with it. Jackie Robinson had to live with it. And I was like, you couldn't go in a pool? Because I'm like, what? In this part of the country? Yes, lo and behold. And I and I feel like that work that the that unfortunately it's not the business of the African Americans to make us see things, but it's the work that we have an obligation to come to come up with. We, we need to get better, th- those of us from European descent, at making it 
making a, a conscious effort to really educate ourselves on what that history has been for most African fam families of African descent. So we really appreciate it. That's all they're asking us to do is just appreciate what this has been. And once we kind of do that, then you can go to the sort of more raceless kinds of things, right, you know, right, right. whatever that appreciation entails. But anyway, I, that was a complete sidebar. Um, I, 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 I'm worried that I'm going to go back now to conflict resolution, intergroup conflict theory, and what to do if somebody's behaving hostily. I'm really worried about the ubiquity of character pathology. I, I worked in a mm. psychiatric hospital when I, where I saw it come on. Uh, I, I was working there in the early 80s, worked there for 30 years, and I watched the uh, Axis II diagnoses became essentially exclusively clustered around yeah. Sociopath, narcissist, borderline, uh, and, and when and when I started working there, it was a full array of A, B, and C personalities. You know, just it's humans have character stuff. No, not all of a sudden. And you had mentioned something about unresolved trauma uh, in the victim identity individuals, and I think we all know that trauma is uh, the source of some of this character pathology. I guess I'm sort of moving towards a question of. You know, you said um, if somebody's behaving hostile, they're a hostile person, decide whether you want to be in that relationship or not. I, I don't think we have an option in this world today because it's so ubiquitous. So what do we mm. do in a world where character pathology is so commonplace and is really sort of easily, it's easy to look at the landscape of the world and go, oh, this, this feels like cluster B. It's all over the place. We got to... What do we do with this? Which is really now what I'm laying on your plate. What do we do with this? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I, I can, I can talk, I can, I guess I can speak for my own self as, and this is kind of where I guide people when I coach them. Uh, uh, I, yeah, there, every relationship has a, um, has a cost benefit analysis, right? Like what, what is the cost of managing this relationship in terms of stress? No, I'm, I'm not going to let you go there. I'm not going to let you go there because it's, oh, okay. it's easy to get it just to pull away. Right. But let's say, let's say you yeah. have a workplace environment. You start looking around going, Oh shit, 30% of our population is character pathology. I can't fire 30%. Of our mm. I don't want to fire them. I want to get a I don't dislike these people. You know, by the way, I have a, I have a soft spot for people with borderline disorders. They, they suffer more than anybody else. Well, yeah. They make everyone around them oh, suffer too. Oh, we see too, it all but, the time. Yeah. And so let's say 30 40% of my population, I can say, oh, there's some whiff of character stuff here. What, what do I do when, when that's all over yeah. the place? Not, not get away well, from I'll, them. What do I do with them? Yeah. Well, here, here's what I here, – so I have, a, I have a situation right now, for instance, where I'm, I'm, there's, I'm coaching a team of, of C-level executives, and one of them happens to be uh, probably borderline. Um, certainly she's – say certainly this person has brought in uh, uh, some trauma from, from her past Border, and borderline traits projecting borderline traits yeah, with and, some projection you know, and identification. Okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And transferring onto the people. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so one thing that I'm coaching them to do is, you know, so number one is like, what are the needs of this, of this person? You know, I don't think that this person's going to change and it's not their job to change them. So the question is, is number one, how do you take care of yourself? In, in this situation? How do you, how do you monitor your own stress levels, et cetera, and really take care of yourself? And number two, when you're interacting with this person, thinking about, um, I tend to think about like, if I'm in conflict with someone who constantly seems hostile or with, with a personality disorder, I'm trying to focus on their pain rather than my own. And so if I can look at them and say, this person is in pain, like, in other words, like this person basically has a broken leg that she's pretending not to have. And how, if I want to have a good interaction with them, 
How do I just focus on I, I'm, pain? Now, I'm laughing. Unfortunately, that gets I, very I, tiring. I, 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 it's tiring. Not only is it tiring, yeah. it, it took me uh, 10 years of working in those environments and doing my own psychotherapy to get good at that. It's something that's really- Yeah, it's very it's, hard. It's, it, you're good at it because you're a psychologist. I'm a physician. It's like, yeah, I, I, I worked at it, and, I, and I'm now very good at it. And um, mm-hmm. it still requires a lot of energy. It can still be uncomfortable. And I, I tell you what, what I what I always worry about is the distortions. So so one of the you know rules for me is uh, I yeah, never yeah, I yeah. would never be with that person alone ever 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 because that's a good th- point. They experience things. That, that people looking at the Amber Heard. I think Amber Heard and Johnny Depp did us a great service because you know Amber Heard experienced. Her memory was laid down. She's not lying. That's the memory she has of things. That's yeah. how borderlines work. That you right. walk in a room, you can go, "Hey, Amber, look at that nice brown light," and she'll you'll walk out and she'll go, "He came in and told me I'm a piece of shit." It's like what? 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 Right. What? Where'd that come from? Well, if there's no one there to witness it, that's what the memory is, and that's how it goes down. Because the victim piece is so profound that everything is, is experienced yeah. at all times through that. Anyway, so so my thing would be I would, right. I would never interact with that person alone, ever, 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 at least not without the door open. That's a that's uh, a, that's a, that's a good strategy, too. I, yeah. I agree, especially when you're in a, in a workplace environment. There's some legal potential issues. So, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, that's – I mean, unfortunately, we're not going to change them. It's, it's just I like how do you we could. just have the yeah. most pleasant – I yeah, get it. I, yeah. I, so, what, so, okay, so we have five employees that we have to coach up to be like us who know how to walk in a room and manage the borderline. Yeah. What, what do you tell them? It's like, just don't, don't, I, I sort of say, don't, don't expect to get, uh, don't expect to get your, your needs met. Your needs are never going to be seen separately from that person's. Right? Yeah. Same with the narcissist. Well, the other, Same with the narcissist. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going to have so to never, align yourself so, with that person's needs. And the, 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 the best and the worst outcome is you're going to be idealized, but you're going to be serving that person. And if you have one slip, you're going to be de-idealized. You're going to exactly, be- that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And and the person, I mean, the people dealing with borderline, like they have to learn how to take care of themselves. Yeah, and stop, you know, stop perceiving yeah. what the other person is saying or doing as anything that's real. That's going, yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah. that's true about themselves. Yeah. You know, it's like that's not true, and I know that. At, and I have to stay centered in myself. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But it's uh, not easy. It's not easy, and it gets really tiresome. Oh yeah, really tiresome. Yeah. Uh, well, and and some people are good at it, right? Like like my dad was sort of narcissistic, so I'm really good with narcissistic males, particularly. Mm. Um, the problem is, I I completely subsume all my needs to his, and and that can be very effective in a workplace environment with, with something I like doing, and it's a very productive, and it's work I like. But w- when there's a when there's a discontinuity of interest. All hell breaks loose because <laughs> they are wounded. Yeah, they're wounded and abandoned, and it's a big mess. Can't disagree with them. You can't. Yeah. You can't. You can't be separate from them. You're there. Yeah. Whenever yeah. somebody says you're the best, oh, you're my man. You're my gal. You're my whatever. Oh boy, watch out. <laughs> watch yeah. out. Yeah, we're all just okay. We don't don't strive to be the best or the worst. Just be good and good enough. Like good enough parent. Um, let me ask this: uh, Is the not-for-profit world different than the profit world? Are you entering? In, are you encountering different stuff? Sinus pain, congestion, heaviness in the face, headache, runny nose, watery eyes, over-the-counter prescription medication with side effects and messy sprays are a tough way to live for many people with these conditions. 
I want to tell you about a new product that may change your life. Introducing Tivic ClearUp, an easy-to-use, FDA-approved medical device that fits in the palm of your hand. Created by doctors and neuroscientists, Tivic ClearUp stops suffering by using bioelectronic technology to reduce sinus pain and congestion. Simply glide Tivic on areas of your face where you're experiencing sinus pain. You simply glide Tivic Clear Up on areas of your face where you are experiencing sinus pain. Try Tivic Clear Up today with a 60-day risk-free trial. Go to TivicHealth.com. That is T-I-V-I-C Health.com. Enter promo code DREW22 to receive $20 off plus free shipping on your ClearUp device. Tivic ClearUp works when nothing else can. How many of you have been thinking about your backyard and doing a makeover? Well, with the Michael Phelps Swim Spa, you can combine the benefits of a pool with therapy of a hot tub. Comes in a variety of sizes to complement almost any yard. The Michael Phelps Swim Spas by Master Spas has water current so you can swim, do aquatic exercises, have fun with the kids. Water buoyancy, of course, helps relieve painful joints. Michael Phelps Swim Spas are made 100% in the USA by Master Spas, the world's largest swim spa manufacturers. You're going to love your Michael Phelps Swim Spa by Master Spas. Go to masterspas.com, put in the promo code DREW to save $1,000 on a Michael Phelps Swim on a Michael Phelps Swim Spa or $500 on a Master Spas hot tub. That is masterspas.com, promo code DREW. Well, we want to get away these days, but uh, listen, you got to kind of think about things that you might not want to plan on. But one of the best ways to do that is get an Air MedCare Network Fly You Home membership. AMC and Fly You Home is all about taking control of your care. If you get hurt or sick or hospitalized more than 150 nautical miles from home, they will transport you to a hospital of your choice in a medically equipped private aircraft and you will not have to pay a dime out of pocket. They've completed more than 18,000 missions and have over 30 years of experience, so you can expect industry-leading care while recovering. Now, I know what you're thinking. They must be expensive, but it is as cheap as $134 a year for your entire household. And if you use code Dr. Drew, that is D-R-D-R-E-W, they'll give you up to a $60 gift card when you join. If you're like me, you want to get out, I cannot recommend enough the peace of mind you will feel with an AMCN Fly You Home membership. Just visit airmedcarenetwork.com slash Dr. Drew today and get up to a $60 gift card with code Dr. Drew. Again, that is airmedcarenetwork.com and code Dr. Drew. Uh, so not, not dramatically, but I will say that nonprofits tend to be a lot more on the hypersensitive, hypervigilant. I also find a lot of character pathology there. Um, the types of people that want to work in that environment a lot of times are very caring, but then they're also, I probably have seen more sort of borderline clusters uh, in that realm than, than in than in this sort of normal business. So acting out their own victimhood by rescuing yeah, others. That's totally anecdotal. I don't yeah. know. You know, I, 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 I imagined you were going to say that. That made sense to me. Yeah. Does that result in a lot more conflict in the workplace or is it, uh, you know, have special needs? It results in a lot. I, I think it results in a lot, a lot more conflict. From my experience, it results in a lot wider conflict. So it's not, you know, so in a workplace, a lot of times there'll be, you know, one individual. We come in and it's like one individual is causing a lot of problems or mm -hmm. two individuals. And when we go into, sometimes in nonprofits, it's like, I, 
it's not clear who's the, there's no one individual a lot of times. It's like, everyone's not getting along, you know, well, and, and or like I, there's, or like there's factions, like yeah. one team's Split, not getting splitting, along. splitting, splitting behaviors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I look at that as a borderline system, right? Is that an accurate mm-hmm. way to look mm-hmm. at it? Yeah. I mean, I think it varies from, from, from system to system. Every organization is different. I've, I've seen some organizations that are great. Some nonprofits that like we, we run a culture test and assessment and they, they score super high and mm-hmm. it's all anonymous. And it's like, so everybody's great. Um, and then we run some that are super low. So I, I think maybe, I don't know, maybe the extremes are more so in those environments. Like it's oh, that's really great or it's, really Oh, bad, that's interesting. Know? That's interesting. again, that's anecdotals. <laughs> well, but that, but that also means you can strive for really great, you know, like there should be, you could. why couldn't, you know, why couldn't the ones that are struggling become really great? Uh, yeah. that's, this is all so interesting to me. Do you, let me just and drop back up to the 30,000 foot level again and just talk about your field a little bit. Do you, do you feel that there's growing awareness when you come to environments that people sort of get the concepts or are already familiar with these things, or are you are you out in the woods again? And it's, it's, these things are so familiar to me; it's just hard for me to yeah. believe that people don't know this. But go ahead. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's 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 slowly gaining traction. I mean, we do, we do have to do a lot of education. A lot of people that come to us, they say, "Hey, I was just looking online for some solutions, and I found you, and I didn't even know this kind of thing existed." You know, it's basically you know, kind of couples counseling for workplaces or, or organizational counseling for workplace. So um, yeah, a lot of people, there needs to be education. They don't really understand what it is. Um, sometimes we'll go in and they're, they're like, we've already, we've had three consultants come in here and try to work with us and nothing's better. And here's another consultant, you know, and it's yeah. like, yeah, but we're not, we don't call ourselves consultants. All our quote unquote consultants, we call peace builders. I mean, that's, that is our entire focus is how to help people get out of conflict and into peace in, a, in an organizational setting. Who needs your services? Who does? Who needs it? Who should get? Who need, um, yeah, I mean, we work in so many different industries and so many different. We we work from the small like two person or three person in a medical office up to like a large you know multi thousand you know person global uh, global global business. You know, so it's it's they all need it. They need kind of different things. The smaller ones usually need like the, what we call our peacemaking program, which is like the couples counseling organization. And the larger ones, a lot of times need us to facilitate large conversations around strategy because they're getting a lot into a lot of conflict in those conversations, that sort of thing. So um, we're, we're starting to do what's called restorative work. Um, there's been a restorative justice practice a long time, but people don't really know about it. Now we're doing, what we call restorative practices where people get to listen to each other in a, in a non-judgmental way and it's facilitated and that sort of thing. And man, I'll tell you, there is a big shift when, when people, especially people that don't have character pathologies, they just feel like no one's listened to me. No one's included me. Um, I'm very frustrated, et cetera. And you get them in a room and they just feel heard. They get to talk for two or three minutes and, mm. and they get the sense that people are actually listening to them. Mm. It's super cathartic and it actually changes the dynamic a lot. And it gives us a good place to start from. So just listening is a lot of times really important. And are you out speaking on this topic very much? Yeah, I mean as much as I can. You know, um, I'm I'm running I run a the company, so I'm I'm trying to do as much as I can in terms of speaking and presenting. I do a lot of a lot of trainings in the company. I don't know. Yeah, I hope you are out there, or, or even creating you know online sort of decks and things that people can scroll through because this the, this material is so yeah. important. I, I I just feel like this is the this is the weapon we have against so much of the nonsense that's going on in the canceling world and the social media world and media, just generally the, yeah. it's, it's just a, a, if you understand this stuff, at least, at least it makes you pause 
and and not feel yeah. so righteous in all these things that people are doing. Um, I agree. Yeah, where- we 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 have we have like free you know so on our website paulpeacebuilding.com we offer a free media, co-worker mediation guide. A lot of people download that. They come to our website. Um, we also, we have another site called Peaceful Leaders Academy, which is our uh, school for training leaders in the style of peaceful leadership, which is a, which is a theory of leadership that we've developed. Um, and on there, they can download a free uh, ebook that's all about, you know, five very clear tools to uh, improve workplace culture they can do immediately. And so it, it implements a lot of this stuff into those, into those free resources. Well, keep representing evolutionary psychology. I, I, I felt uh, since it started getting attacked that it would be back in the front and center because uh, reality has a way of asserting itself and it is uh, just simply the facts. Yes, there are some just so stories in there that we have to sort of, you know, work to prove, but uh, generally speaking in, in biology generally, and we are a biological system if you want to understand what things are or why things are, just look at the evolution. You know, just ask why did it evolve? What, what's it doing? What's yeah. it, what's it serving from an evolutionary perspective? And that is always yeah. the answer. Not sometimes, always. Yeah, I was a, I, I was a, so I've been in an Ev Psych Lab in in, uh, in UCLA. I was in a, I was in a, I was in a lab, a social lab, social psych lab in, in Stanford. And um, and what I find when when I'm working with people that are from a scientific background, scientific method, um, they're very open to changing their hypotheses and very open to changing their minds. If they, if they put something out there, that's the big thing. And so the, unfortunately, when I look at the, the sort of cultural anthropologists or more the social constructionists, they don't have any real clear ways of empirically measuring things. And so once they believe something, it's hard to get them to change their mind. It's like, this is the way it is. And that, and you can't tell me anything different. And that's the thing I like about the scientific method is it's all about changing our minds when the data supports changing our minds or not changing our minds if the data supports it's, it. It's all about disproving. It's all about null hypothesis. Yeah. It's all about you know, getting refining the our null. theories, get, making yeah. them better, knocking them down. Yeah. And and believe me, when when you're the object of when you present a paper, trust me, your peers will <laughs> have at it. That's the whole process. Yeah. Is that uh, absolutely? And the fact that we weren't doing that during COVID is just shocking. But anyway, it's a, another. A story for another day. Listen, thank you for being yeah. here. I really appreciate it. It's fascinating stuff for me. Uh, I, I really enjoy this material, as you can tell. And uh, congratulations on yeah. the work. I think it's ugh, essential what you're doing. Again, PeacefulLeadership.org, PeacefulLeadershipAcademy.com, PollockPeaceBuilding.com, CoachJeremyPollock.com. Check it all out. And uh, yeah, familiarize yourself more with social psychology, if you're not already familiar with, and uh, cognitive biases uh, and how our brains work. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dr. Drew. Appreciate it. You got it. We'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com.
You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with the go-to person to help negotiate a hostage situation in Syria when no other intelligence agency would help. When you have a hostage negotiation, especially in a war zone, the first thing you have to do is tell the parents to stop doing something that they want to do and that every schmuck under the sun is telling them to do, which is to seek public support, right? To get public statements, to do Facebook campaigns. What just happens with that is your price went up before you even started a negotiation. You do not want to drive up the perceived value of the hostage. Sometimes people are taken hostage just for the shock value of executing them. What you're gonna do with the campaign that you're doing right now is gonna get your child or your spouse killed. How is pissing off the people who hold that person's life in their hands helping you? By the time I get involved, it's usually too late. To learn all about the nuances of negotiating with criminals and human traffickers, check out episode 617 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. All this month, stream the funniest films for free on Pluto TV. Watch comedy classics like Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, and Mean Girls. Or drop in for a Tyler Perry marathon with a Medea family funeral and Medea's witness protection. Pluto TV also has hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and TV shows like Get Shorty, Be Cool, Key and Peel, Comedy and Color, and more. And no contracts, no subscriptions, no fees, no joke. So download the Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device and start laughing today. Pluto TV, drop in, watch free.